Welcome to Historical Baptist FC, life and ministry from a historical Baptist perspective. I'm Robert Klotz, Senior Pastor at First Baptist Church in Talladega, Alabama. I am Heath Walton, Associate Pastor at First Baptist Church in Talladega, Alabama. Today's uh, subject is the sufficiency of Scripture. So we've walked through the inspiration uh, and inerrancy of Scripture and uh, how those, uh, and infallibility, we t- I think we talked about infallibility last time. Last time was inerrancy. Are you sure? Did you cover infallibility as well? Maybe we did. Oh, Maybe boy. we're supposed to be on infallibility this week, but either way, we're going to be doing sufficiency now. Oh, boy. <laughs> anyway. Oh, let's talk about sufficiency, regardless of what we were supposed to talk about. Um, you want to, well, I, I, I'll tell you what, I've got a couple of uh, documents here. I'll read some definitions. The first is the Baptist Faith and Message 2000, just the article on the scriptures, says the Holy Bible was written by men divinely inspired and is God's revelation of himself to man. It is a perfect treasure of divine instruction. It has God for its author, salvation for its end, and truth without any mixture of error for its matter. Therefore, all scripture is totally true and trustworthy. It reveals the principles by which God judges us and therefore is and will will remain to the end of the world the true center of Christian union and the supreme standard by which all human conduct, creeds, and religious opinions should be tried. All scripture is a testimony to Christ, who is himself the focus of divine revelation. Um, we, we, I don't know that we've read uh, any of the articles from Baptist Faith and Message in defining some of the other terms about the scriptures, uh, but one thing you sort of note is that none of the big fancy theological terms are used, but all of them are described uh, in that article. So, uh, of course, totally true and trustworthy. Uh, true means, um, of course, it is without error. And then trustworthy, I would say, uh, at least in part, deals with sufficiency, that it is able to be trusted and used um, in human life, in measuring uh, doctrinal standards, in measuring uh, Christian conduct, and, and all those sorts of things. The supreme standard by which all human conduct, creeds, and religious opinions should be tried. Again, sort of that same idea of sufficiency. Um, the 1689 Baptist Confession of Faith also starts Article 1 of the Holy Scripture says the Holy Scripture is the only sufficient, there you go, right away, the only sufficient, certain, and infallible rule of all saving knowledge, faith, and obedience. Um, And it continues from there. But right at the beginning, it talks about it being sufficient. Um, I I think probably the best definition of the sufficiency of Scripture has to come from 2 Timothy. Um, Mm -hmm. All Scripture is breathed out by God and is profitable. Uh, and then it goes on to list, of course, for training and reproof and correction, training in righteousness. For uh, everything. Yes, exactly. So that the man of God may be complete, um, competent for every good work. So in all matters of, of life and faith and practice, mm-hmm. the Bible is sufficient. Right. It is enough. Yes. Um, and, I, you know, that, that sort of simple word describes a pretty... Uh, vast concept and you know it it is expansive yet that simple yeah it is able to meet every need Mm -hmm. um such as or or, or in such a way that there need not be anything added to it whatsoever because it it already is perfectly enough um so we bring up the subject of sufficiency because ever since the reformation it has been a challenged doctrine um Sufficiency and authority are often tied up together uh, in many ways, as are all these doctrines of the Bible, are tied up together in a few ways. And it all goes back to the doctrine of inspiration, right? If we understand the Bible to be God's own word, 
Um, and there, you know, we just read the Baptist Faith and Message 2000. It, one of the things that necessitated the revision in 2000 uh, was a denial, not only of inerrancy and insufficiency, but a denial of the inspiration of the text. Mm-hmm. Um, as, as I recall, in the 60s, the, the term was, it is a the record, record of the revelation record. of God rather than the revelation of God itself. Um, and so all of those go back to that same basic question. If the Bible is the very word of God, and we believe that it is, then it is without error. It cannot fail, and it is absolutely sufficient in all matters of faith and practice. In all orthodoxy and orthopraxy, it is sufficient. It is enough. Right believing, right practice. <laughs> so that's just for layman terms. Um, so let's Would talk you just about— call me? Nothing. Yeah, I didn't call, call you me lame, lame. man. Um, how about I knew exactly where you were going with that? Because you know that I only have a few dad jokes. terrible jokes. Uh, no, you do not have a few of them. Uh, and so, <laughs> uh, but the reason we bring up sufficiency, obviously we want to cover the doctrine, but sufficiency seems to be under attack yet again uh, in quite a few ways. Um, I, I see it mainly in two that I can think of just offhand. And the two ways, one, it, it are in issues such as cultural issues like critical race theory or critical theory in general, um, is that that's a worldview that clashes with the Bible, and there are Christians who are maybe even not on purpose denying the sufficiency of Scripture by giving credence to that view, that like with the gospel, we believe the gospel, to use critical race theory, we believe the gospel is sufficient to break down every barrier that separates mankind. Every barrier that separates us from God, the gospel breaks it down. Every barrier that separates us from each other, the gospel breaks that down. And we believe the gospel is sufficient to do that, but critical race theory does not. Uh, And so when a Christian begins to buy into a theory like critical race theory, while they may be well-intentioned, as I think many of them are, while they may be well-intentioned, they are inadvertently denying the sufficiency of Scripture. Uh, so I see it there. The other way that I see it also challenges authority, and it is that personal experience overrides the Scriptures. So we see that in quite a few ways. With uh, Emotionalism seems to be at a high right now. And emotion, hear me clearly, emotion is not bad. Emotion is good. God gave us emotions. But emotions do not override God's word. They right. do not override it, it, truth. Everything in its order. Yes. Right? And I think we've talked about this before, too, sort of the uh, when I was a pastoral intern, uh, the pastor I was under taught taught us this four tiers of decision-making, the personhood of God, the authority of Scripture, um, church history, then personal experience, and always in that order. So that personal experience, each one of those along the way is valuable, it's helpful, but but while one can support the one above it, it can't override the one yes. above it. So as you're saying, uh, personal experience cannot be allowed uh, to lead us astray from God's Word because God's Word is the sufficient authority, not my personal experience. My personal experience can be drawn from bad pizza. God's Word is God's <laughs> own Word, right? Um, and so while, while personal experience can help and support um, right, we talk about the, a personal relationship with Christ can bring absolute joy in the midst of trials and circumstances. My personal experience of that certainly supports the conclusion I draw from the scriptures. But my personal conclusion, you know, 
I don't even know that we want to get into examples of, okay. of how many that there are um, in, in today's sort of churchy culture. But um, my personal experience can never override what the scriptures say. Now, there are some denominations that actually teach this completely differently. Some entire denominations say that all four of those uh, decision-making lenses are valuable, but they all carry the same weight. Yeah, and that's uh, where we have the issue of authority that we're right, talking about. Right, right. Uh, so you have, if we're talking about authority as well, I guess we could do both today or go authority next time. But I think you're right. I think they kind of hold hands with each other. They hold hands because you have the the way that we view it. We believe that the Bible is the authoritative word of God, that it, it bears the authority not simply because it's a book, but because it bears the authority of God because it's God's word. Uh, the other one is ecclesiastical authority, which is uh, whatever church you're a part of, if it's a hierarchical kind of structure there that the church decides if a doctrine is legitimate or not, or will even come up with new doctrines, if the church says that it must be inspired by God and therefore it carries the same weight as the Scripture, and that doesn't just happen in Roman Catholic Church, as many people assume. That is a, a major proponent of ecclesiastical authority, and they actually admit that themselves. That's not us, you know, giving accusations yeah. against them. Right. That's what they do. Uh, but you see it in charismatic uh, churches. You see it in prosperity, quote-unquote, churches, where if the, the preacher declares something, if someone who deems himself an apostle declares something, it must be so. Uh, but that, again, that's, that's showing that, in their view, the Bible's not sufficient enough. And then that third one is that personal experience, that, well, I experienced this, and so this must be true. Um, one of the biggest examples of that uh, from a few years ago, and, and many of you will remember it, is this book comes out called Heaven is for Real, mm -hmm. right? So Heaven is for Real comes out. It's taking uh, Christian culture by storm, if you will, uh, American Christian culture. I, I remember going in Lifeway and going into family Christian bookstores, and this was there. I mean, mm -hmm. it, it, people were snatching this book up, and I had a lady come bring me the book to the church, and I read that book in, a, in an afternoon. Mm -hmm. And I remember thinking, this is trouble. Mm -hmm. uh, because, you know, all these things that were counter-biblical, they, they were against the Bible of, you know, the angels stop singing to God and start singing to this little boy, and, and that the Holy Spirit is a blue thing that shoots down arrows, and that, uh, you know, he was able to look at God and then, and not to mention the the simple fact that the kid never died; mm -hmm. um, he was just in operation, uh, and the fact that the the granddad had angel wings because you know what the Bible says, right? When humans die, they become angels. That's, yeah, Saint Peter hands those out. Yeah, that's that's not biblical, right? Uh, and so we have we have counter biblical things. But then there was a statement that the dad made that deeply bothered me more than anything else in the book. He said simply because. Colton saw it, I now believe in heaven more. Mm -hmm. um, that speaks to his view of the sufficiency of Scripture, is that, yes, I'll believe it, but if my son experienced it, oh, now I believe it even more because that personal experience has just overridden the Scripture. And I think this is where maybe now I'm going to enter it in, whether it's now is the time or not. Um, I, I think it's at this point where we we sort of have to get into a little bit of a difficult conversation where I don't even, I don't even know that I don't think this is a term. I'm going to coin a term that's probably not even a wise term. We don't want to be hyper sufficientists. 
Yes, to in the sense no to say there's there's ever use. right that there's nothing else that is useful. I think that good systematic theology texts are useful. I I, I use commentaries in sermon preparation. Um, I just finished um, John Piper's book Providence, and it's one of the greatest books I've ever read, and it was very tremendously helpful. The difference is, do those things do those things claim themselves to be subordinate to the scriptures and to be driving you to the scriptures and to be taken from the scriptures, or are they put up against the authority of scripture? Mm-hmm. In the example that you're talking about, because Colton saw it, now I believe it more that the Bible yeah. wasn't enough to convince me. I needed something else. And to go back to uh, you know critical theory, the Bible isn't enough to solve this problem. Need we need else. something else. Pragmatism in the church, um, the Bible's oh. instructions on corporate worship aren't enough. I need something else. Yeah, so uh, let's use another example there is the emergent church of the, the early 2000s, right? Late 90s, early 2000s. That effectively is just, they've just blended with the, the what are they, like a progressive church now. But, you know, they, they brought in all these foreign worship, quote unquote, experiences because they needed something more. Mm-hmm. needed something different. And so they brought in some strange things that, you know, if they would have just gone to the Bible and looked at the Old Testament and looked at the New Testament and see that God does not like people playing with worship. Yeah. It doesn't um, end well. Yeah, it, ne- it never has. <laughs> I can tell you this. Not one of them did God go, oh, hey, cool. Like, that never happened. It was dead. Yeah. <laughs> so, I, it, was, it was probably uh, actually the first ever singing of Fire Fall Down, and it wasn't in a good yeah, context. Yeah, it was not a good—I never understand that, but that's a different episode. <laughs> Uh, okay, priest of Baal, keep singing it. But, uh, you know, so you have that. And then, um, it also has gotten to the point now where you can't, you can't challenge certain speakers against the Bible like a Berean should, right? You, you cannot challenge them because someone has felt something Hmm. when they taught, they experienced something when they taught that person was, but that person is very nice and came to my house to eat dinner. Mm-hmm. I'm not being very specific, am I? Uh, that person's very nice. They came to my house to eat dinner, and so she must be fantastic oh, okay. at what she does. Okay, before you, um, before you, <laughs> um, but you, you, you know what that line of logic sounds remarkably like, uh, and and I'm stealing this from at least 18 other men who I've I've heard use this same sort of thought in other contexts. It sounds remarkably like a serpent in a garden one time. Yeah, it who does. convinced Eve to say, "Well, it's pleasing to the eye, and yeah. it looks good for food, and being wise is desirable." <laughs> All these sounds like good things, so I can believe him instead of believing what God well, has said. I like to be happy. <laughs> I like to feel worth it. Yeah, you know, I, I love to feel like I'm a champion. I'm a spiritual champion. <laughs> I love to feel those things. It's almost as if people. I don't know where I might have read this before. It's almost like people have itching ears that they want to have tickled. Uh, <laughs> it's almost like someone told wouldn't, us wouldn't this would... Wouldn't that be scratched? Like, if you have an itch, do you know, want to be tickled? Sh- but that's what it says. Is that not what it says? <laughs> it should be scratched. What's worse is when someone says, my ear itches, itch it. That drives me insane. I love you, honey. Um, but uh, anyway, so it, it's almost like the Bible told us... He's not us, talking to me. I know. No, not Robert, my wife. Anyway, so not... It's almost like the Bible told us that this would happen. Mm-hmm. And 
Well, and and that's Old and New Testament, right? Yeah. A time is coming when they will when they will accumulate for themselves uh, preachers who will scratch them where they itch. But that's Old Testament too. Yeah. Speak softly to us. Don't tell us the truth. Don't walk in the way. Lie to us, right? <laughs> Don't prophesy the truth anymore. Tell us what we want to hear, not not the truth we need to hear. Yeah, you know. Modern day believers ought not think themselves any better than the Jews of the Old Testament because it's all about exactly doing what is right in our own eyes, right? Mm-hmm. And so, what does that do? That's saying your own personal authority and mm-hmm. your own personal opinion, your own personal experience overrides the scripture. And thus, we have the issue with authority. And that's under attack, mm-hmm. as it always is. But that's under attack still today. It is present, it is prevalent. Um, and, and the challenge that I would have for, for people who struggle with what we're saying is if you are a true believer, and I do believe that people who are true believers, they know if they're a true believer. If you are a true believer, don't be so quick to just call someone mean or rude who is calling you to examine the scriptures. I'm more worried about someone who's calling me to just believe what they say mm-hmm. or just believe their experience than I am of one who's calling me to examine the scriptures to see if it's true. That's not mean-spirited. That's what Christians do. So speaking of the sufficiency of the scriptures, let me sort of drive us to the text for a second. Genesis 3, now the serpent was more crafty than any other beast of the field that the Lord God had made. He said to the woman, did God actually say you shall not eat of any tree in the garden? The first question in the garden that the serpent asked in order to tempt Eve is a question of inerrancy or uh, inspiration. inspiration. Mm -hmm. Did God actually say this? And the woman said to the serpent, we may eat of the fruit of the trees in the garden. Uh, But God said, you shall not eat the fruit of the tree that is in the midst of the garden. Neither shall you touch it lest you die. But the serpent said to the woman, you will not surely die. So now we're questioning inerrancy. God's wrong. He, 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 He spoke in error. You're not actually going to die if you do this like God said you would. Uh, you will not surely die. Verse 5, for God knows that when you eat of it, your eyes will be opened and you will be like God, knowing good and evil. That's the question. Now he's bringing sufficiency into question. You you need you need to step outside of what God has said if you really want to be wise. Yeah. If you really want to have all wisdom and insight, you're going to need to do the thing that God said don't do because he's just telling you this to trick you. He's just telling you this to keep you in a box. Um, and, and, and Oh, if I hear that box analogy one more time. <laughs> Don't put God in a box. Yeah, that, except that God put God in a book shaped box. Yeah. Um, anyway, uh, he didn't just come up with that off the no, cuff. No, I think I think I've I think I've said he that in said this it podcast to me several in the times. office fifty times. I think I've said it in, in this podcast multiple times. But <laughs> uh, at, at any rate, I, I think that that's helpful because it's a reminder that when Satan decides to attack, one of the first things he often attacks is God's word. He asks questions of um, inspiration, of inerrancy, and of sufficiency. And if he can get you to doubt, he can get you to do the very same thing that Eve said. Um, she saw that it was pleasing to the eye, good for food, uh, and, and useful to make one wise. And we can take of it and eat of it. Whatever that fruit is, whether that's the fruit of pragmatism or personal mm-hmm. experience or uh, thinking that, you know, whatever whatever it is. Well, I think there's yet another aspect that I don't quite know if it fits in with personal experience, but now there seems to be a cultural dictation um, is an authority. Whatever the culture starts saying is right. Um, even, I mean, some politicians have gone far enough to say they need to change their theology 
to get with the times. Your times have nothing to do with the Word of God. Um, Your fleeting opinions have nothing to do with the Word of God. And so that's another aspect that we're seeing is, is the culture is trying to dictate what we should be believing. Um, but we must hold firm to the Word of God. We have to. Well, and doesn't that bring us back to the exact reason we said we were going to start this season is yeah. the the age-old war, well, the age-old struggle, let's say. You struggle. just sounded, that was the most I've ever heard you sound like an old man in a microphone. <laughs> the, age, nah, nah, nah. the age-old struggle <laughs> between um, classic evangelicalism and what is termed fundamentalism yeah. um, is the struggle of to, to use a term that's probably overly used, how much are we in the world versus of the world, or mm-hmm. we're not in the world, or we are in the world but not of the world, um, is this struggle of, of how much do we adjust for the sake of cultural contextualization, mm-hmm. and how much are we unwilling to budge on. And and the, the struggle between those two things are a struggle between poles like a magnet, as it were, between classic evangelicalism and fundamentalism. Um, and, and, you know, I, again, I think if you have to err one way, you ought to be erring toward the side of holding firm to the fundamentals of the yes, faith. Yes, absolutely. Um, hence why this podcast and uh, this season of the podcast where we said that, uh, you know, FC, this season stands for fundamental Christianity, um, because there are certain things that even as we try to speak to the culture in which we live, there are certain things that cannot change. And one of those things is if we're being called to change in any particular way that um, learns from the culture contrary to God's word, that takes from the culture in a way that detracts from God's word, uh, or that sees the culture as authoritative so that we try to adjust what we're doing with God's word, all those things are denying the sufficiency of scripture and all those things become very, very dangerous. Yeah. So before we end the episode, I want you to kind of paint a picture for us. Okay. It's going to be a, it's going to be interesting. I hope, uh, at least for the the listeners. This catches me off guard. So the chances of it being interesting are kind of slim. So paint a picture for us. Let's say that not even the SBC, just churches in general, effectively just outright deny the sufficiency of scripture what does the christian landscape look like in our country at that point if churches as a whole deny the sufficiency of scripture yeah what does the landscape of christendom look like look like dead what is christendom what is christianity without the sufficiency of scripture um, it's, it's secularized cultural quote unquote spirituality. Mm-hmm. It is, uh, it, it's putting Jesus fish bumper stickers on the back of emotionalism at best and secularism at worst. Mm-hmm. It's deism without even a strong enough conviction to believe that there is a deity it's vastly empty. It's 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 nothingness. Um, it is completely relative. There's no authority by which anything is central. You again, you simply stick Jesus as a name, as a term, as a fish sticker on the back of something, and go on with whatever you want to do. Um, it is not far removed from in its basic identity. 
from what cultural Christianity started to be in the 1950s and 60s and 70s and so on. And yet it is the worst possible extrapolation of that problem where it it finds its identity in the culture rather than in the scripture because it is flatly denied the scriptures. So let's give a more tame example to go back to are other resources helpful? Um, And I'm probably going to get in trouble again because I'll name names. Okay. If you're looking at the culture and trying to learn how should we how should we organize and structure a church? A, a church is a body. Um, a church is a group of people. It needs to have some structure, some authority, some rules, and, and some organization. So how do we do that? Well, the pragmatic approach that became popular in the 90s and early 2000s was you know the seeker-sensitive movement, church growth movement, et cetera. Um, and so you're going to make your church, sorry, purpose-driven by making sure that you have a church council or a church board or a church leadership team that runs the show. Uh, you basically have a group of chief executive officers and chief, chief operating officers from a basically corporate model who run the thing uh, in a way that will help you gain numbers and financial stability. Mm-hmm. And so if I'm looking at the church and saying the church has grown – I need help knowing how to keep it organized. Let me go to this other book that gives me a brand new state-of-the-art strategy for organizing the church. Now we're beginning to, or flatly, outright denying the sufficiency of the scriptures. If instead I pick up another book that drives me to the scriptures, to name another book, Sojourners and Strangers, that would drive me to the church, this is what church membership from the scriptures looks like. This is what... Uh, a congregation being congregationally governed yet elder-led looks like from the New Testament, then that becomes a useful resource that continues to rely on the sufficiency of Scripture. am Am I applying ideas in the church because of what the authority of the Scripture says, because I believe it is sufficient for faith and practice, or am I looking elsewhere because I think there has to be a better way? Um, You're getting trained right now. (laughs) anyone who pitches to you an idea about the church whether it's evangelistic vision whether it's church organization and polity whether it's what corporate worship should look like whether it's what a preaching style should look like if that pitch sounds to you less like Paul writing a letter to Timothy and more like somebody making a pitch on the NBC show Shark Tank there has to be a better way you're you're in drastic error and dangerous territory. Um, the scriptures are sufficient, which means there is not a better way. Um, and those theories and ideas and books that that help us better understand what the scriptures say are useful and helpful. Those are good things. We're not saying don't read any books. I love books. I'm going to recommend a book in just a minute. My walls are almost built out of books in my office. Um, but but if if the answer is this hasn't been working, there has to be a better way, then you're denying the sufficiency of Scripture. Mm-hmm. So to, to circle back all the way to your example of, of critical theory, and, and you brought up specifically critical race theory, but in all critical theories, is the world based in uh, oppressor and oppressed, and, and is the chief end of man to liberate the oppressed from the oppressor? Or is instead the chief end of man to glorify God and enjoy him forever. And what's keeping us from that chief end is our own sinful nature. 
and what needs to happen is that we need a savior to set us free from our sins. Those are two polar opposite worldviews. That reconciles us to God and to each other. Right. The other big part of that. Yes, thank you. So both of them are completely different worldviews. And if the end result is that I want to be reconciled to my brother, if I recognize that there are things that that have separated me, um, have put a strain on a relationship or severed even a relationship between myself and my brother, between myself and my neighbor, then yes, I, I want that problem to be addressed. But do I address that problem by looking for something because the Bible hasn't told me enough or the Bible hasn't worked or the church has always gotten this wrong? That's that's a thing that we... okay. The church is made up of sinful people. It's made up of sinners. The church gets things wrong all the time. But you know where the church airs? You know why the church gets stuff wrong? It, whenever they move it away. airs whenever they move away from the scriptures. And, and so moving away from the scriptures in an effort to say the church has always done this wrong, we have to do this right now, is exactly the opposite direction. You're running toward error instead of toward truth. To borrow from Moeller's thing, you never drift toward faithfulness. Mm-hmm. Right. Yeah, it has to be a decisive it's a move. Decisive move, right? It has to be a decisive move to the text because the, the Bible is sufficient. That's the direction we need to move. And if the church has always gotten something wrong, it's not because we've been doing it the way the Bible says and it isn't working. It's precisely the opposite. It's because no matter what we have claimed, we haven't been doing this the way that the Bible says. So, for example, to go back to the the issue of uh, ethnic prejudice and ethnic disparities, is the greatest cultural sin of the American past uh, chattel slavery? Absolutely. Has it created lasting problems of ethnic prejudice um, in, in our communities? Absolutely. How do we reconcile that? Well, the, the, the Bible is what has always reconciled that. Mm-hmm. It, it is men who were convicted by the truth of the scriptures that recognized that this was an evil and a sin and sought to put an end to it. It, it was men who recognized that um, that that their fellow man of a different ethnicity was still their, their fellow man created in the image of God. That, that convinced of that biblical worldview is what drove them to eradicate those problems uh, of, of chattel slavery. So the same thing has to be said about, about the solution to um, ethnic prejudice as it still exists in our own hearts, in our own communities, in our own, um, in our own neighborhoods, uh, you know, wherever we see it. If we say, the Bible's way hasn't worked. We've we need this other thing to help. Then we're we're doing it wrong. Or to help us analyze. Yeah, I I need to be now again. That's not to say that no other resource is helpful. Read books on it. But if those books are driving you to another philosophy that is incongruent with the scriptures, incompatible with the scriptures, then it's denying the sufficiency of the scriptures. Whereas if if those things are driving you to the scriptures and a right interpretation of the scriptures and a biblical worldview and a gospel informed reconciliation to God and man, then those things can be helpful. Those things are, are helpful resources. But but one denies the sufficiency of Scripture, whereas the other drives you to the Scriptures and and mm-hmm. and, and uh, elevates the sufficiency of the Scriptures. And I can hear the cries of people who may disagree with us saying things like, well, what about those men who were claiming to be faithful men who did have slaves? That Here's brings us back to the exact they same problem. They were wrong. They were wrong. They not were the sinful. Um, they were wrong. They, they, they were either not reading the scriptures faithfully or they were explaining it away in ways that were terribly in error or they had uh, blind spots isn't, isn't even a sufficient term. No, that's not term. sufficient enough. Um, so uh, 
they were sinful. Yeah, the word was not wrong. They were wrong. Mm. Uh, and so that, you know, these are the kind of Some, things. Sometimes it takes a prophet, Nathan, to come and say, you are the man. You are the one sinning. Yeah. You are the one who has committed an error, David. Uh, David, the psalmist, the, the shepherd king, was wrong. He had erred. He had committed an egregious sin and another egregious sin on top of that and another egregious sin on top of that. And the kingdom was falling apart. And what he needed in that moment was not a new alternative idea. He it was to be reminded of, of the truth of what God had said through the prophet's mouth. And that's the same, the same is true. Now. the word of God. And, you know, today we act as if it, there's that chronological snobbery that happens, right, where we think just because we're more modern, we have it all figured out. We have one of the biggest, it's not a blind spot, it's biggest just national sins, if you will, of abortion. Mm-hmm. Are we going to pretend like we are this righteous age uh, when we have millions and millions of babies dying? Um, Being killed. Yeah, being killed all for, and don't, you can try to bring in the arguments of, you know, those 0.02% situations, uh, but the vast, vast, vast majority is simply for convenience. Well, and, and there again, what teaches us that that is wrong is more than cultural experience. It's more than personal experience. It, it, it is the scriptures. It is the scriptures that teach us that that child is created in the image of God. It is a, he or she is a human being created in the image of God. Um, and, and, and it is an egregious sin to take the breath given by God to an image bearer. And I would say this, if you wanted to have a picture of what Christendom, like you said, would look like without the sufficiency of scripture, all you need to do is look at the sample of main, mainline Protestantism. Sure. That's it. If you want to see what we would be if we let go of the sufficiency of Scripture, so you should have had it. you should have had me ask you that question because you had a ready-made answer all loaded up. Well, when you started <laughs> when you started saying all of the things, you go, yep, check, check, mm-hmm. check. Ah, there it is. Mm-hmm. It's just a spirituality. Mm-hmm. You know, it, it's not. There, there's no life in it. Uh, so it and there again, it it to go back to the sufficiency of Scripture. Doesn't it remind you of um, the, the prophet Isaiah? At, is it Isaiah or Jeremiah? I I I, I your These people honoring your songs. Oh, festivals. <laughs> they sicken me. Yeah, God says when He looks at that kind of empty spirituality, you're giving me a migraine. And you're yeah. making me sick to my stomach. <laughs> yeah. Stop with your your incessant noise. I'm not honored by your sacrifices. I don't I don't want your vain spirituality. I want your heart. And for God to have our heart means that we are surrendered entirely in obedience to whatever He has said and what He has said. To go back to the doctrine of inspiration, He has said in His Word. Um and it is enough. Yeah, and so I, I said Isaiah 55, that was a mistake. That's the, his ways are higher than our ways, mm-hmm. and thoughts are higher than our thoughts, which, by the way, should drive us also to the sufficiency and authority of Scripture. Mm-hmm. But it's Isaiah 29. It says, And the Lord said, Because this people draw near with their mouth and honor me with their lips, while their hearts are far from me, and their fear of me is a commandment taught by men, um, therefore, behold, I will again do wonderful things with this people and wonder upon wonder and the wisdom of their wise men shall perish and the discernment of their discerning men shall be hidden. So basically you, you have this requoted in the New Testament 
when Jesus is boy, did Isaiah not prophesy of you to the Pharisees, right? It mm-hmm. says, you hypocrites. Mm-hmm. These people <laughs> honor, honor me with, with their, their lips, lips, but their hearts are far from me. A denial of the inspiration, inerrancy, authority, sufficiency of Scripture becomes a spirituality that honors God with the lips and yet does not have a heart that's in it. Mm-hmm. And they do not have a gospel that can save. Mm-hmm. Because in many of those, you know, the just the sample we have now, the denial of the sufficiency of Scripture has even led to a denial of Jesus being the only way to salvation. Right. It, it leads to universalism. It leads to a, a denial of substitutionary atonement. Um, what what gospel is left? Yeah, there's none. It's just a gospel created by the traditions and commandments of men. Mm, an empty spirituality. Yep. So sufficiency matters. Um, so again, I want to encourage listeners, if someone is ever calling you to look to the scriptures whether you agree with how they do it or not, I understand that sometimes people can come off as jerks. Well, here's the reality. We're, we're all sinners. I'm not excusing that. But if you, if you look at the Bible, the, the prophets weren't always kind to people. They weren't always soft-spoken. They weren't always putting an arm around somebody and saying, hey, buddy, listen. Sometimes they spoke, and they spoke with strength. Uh, If someone is calling you to look to the scriptures to examine something, don't get mad at them. Get Berean. Get Berean. (laughs) That's how we're going to end it. That t-shirt will be coming soon. Yeah, get Berean. All right. Well, that's the episode. You got anything else you want to add? Watch for the t-shirt coming soon. Don't don't get mad. Get Berean. Let me just say this. He says, watch for the t-shirt coming soon. I say, uh, don't, don't spend too much time watching for it, but it could be there at some point, maybe. All right. Kind of like the next episode. Kind of like our next episode. (laughs) Yeah, you know how we do. Uh, But all right. Thank you for joining us today. Say bye or something. Oh, boy. There we go.